today on On Her Turf at the Olympics, more and more athletes have been speaking about how their periods impact their performance, including beach volleyball gold medalist Alex Kleinman and April Ross. We will be joined by swimmer Mallory Wegeman, a two-time Paralympic medalist who will make her third Paralympic appearance later this month. Plus, Carrie Miller-Ortiz, a three-time Paralympian in sitting volleyball turned NBC analyst. This podcast is presented by Nordatrack from iFit. In the women's marathon, did you see this moment of emotion? Molly Seidel winning bronze. She's 27 years old, becoming the third American woman to win an Olympic medal in the event, following Dina Castor in 2004 and Joan Benoit in 1984. Here's what she said after crossing the finish line. I just wanted to come out today and, I don't know, get up in it, stick my nose where it didn't belong and just see what I could come away with. And I guess that's a medal. Well, you know who else can believe it? are the folks that we were listening to throughout the broadcast, the Seidel House, and I've got them right now. And that's, that's your mom right there. <laughs> so they can hear you on the phone and they can oh hear God, you over you the broadcast. We did it. I'm good. I'm so tired. Please, please drink a beer for me. <laughs> I love it. Drink a beer for me. Virtual. Cheers. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. Um, That was just, that was so raw. What did you think of that when you saw it? Oh, first off, just her celebration. Like she's crossing the line. She's screaming the whole 50 meters before she even crossed. Uh, And just true. And you said she doesn't look tired. And then she's like, I'm so tired. She was so composed to me, right? What do I know? But for so many athletes, just like Molly, even though the Olympics are over, it doesn't mean that they're done. What do these next few weeks look like? Well, it's different for different athletes in their sports. So uh, just my journey, I had an Olympics where immediately after the Beijing Olympics, I was on a plane to Switzerland to race the same girls that were in the Olympic final because they wanted to see that matchup. They wanted to see if the results were changed, yeah. and they did. You know, I lost Olympic gold, and then I won that race. And then there's others that will just go home and just decompress. Not only physically they need a rest, but mentally they need a break. And so they might take like three or four weeks off, and then they start their training again. What was that like for you? Um, It's a tough transition, you know, because the fact is, like, you have this huge spotlight on you at the Olympics, and then you you garner all these new fans, and you want them to stay in touch with you, and you want them to, to keep following you, because it's not every four years for us. For us, we compete every year against these same competitors that are at the Olympics, these intense competitions, mm-hmm. uh, and there's so many different ways to watch us, and we just feel like sometimes the fans don't know how to, to do that. Yeah, and by the way, that's basically what a large portion of your book is about over it, which people should absolutely go read because it's phenomenal. Okay, also, this is an example of what people can do to follow up with these athletes that, to your point, they have fallen in love with, right? Yeah, like there's track and field races. You have the Diamond League Tour. Beach Volleyball has a whole tour. Basketball, WNBA season. There's so many ways. And if you don't know how to watch them, Follow them on social media and they will definitely tell you. All right. Yeah. Great examples there because there are places and we've heard so many athletes saying that people just don't know where to come to follow me and continue to be the fan that you have become seeing what I do at the Olympics. Thanks, Lolo. All right. Plenty more to come on On Her Turf at the Olympics. We're going to be right back. Stay with us.
More and more athletes have been talking about how their periods impact their performance, including beach volleyball gold medalist Alex Kleinman and April Ross. I actually started working with a company called Orico, and they work on syncing your cycle with your training. And I've always been pretty passionate about it because I was on birth control for a lot of years, and it took a big toll on my body and just my emotional health. And um, when I got hooked up with them, I just started to realize, you know, there's a lot of studies that show links between injuries and birth control and different things like that. And I, my mind was blown. And when I learned that stuff, I was like, everybody should know this because everybody should have this information available when they're, you know, making choices about their body. And so um, that's just been something that I've kind of wanted to shine a light on because, you know, half of us are female and I think that we deserve, you know, we're entitled to that kind of information to make educated decisions. Yeah. April, what are your thoughts? Do you have any thoughts to add to that and, and things that you've gleaned? Um, yeah, I've learned a lot from Alex and, um, you know, over time she's kind of told me like, Hey, you should try eating this at this time of your cycle, (laughs) Uh, taking these supplements at this time. Um, I'm actually going to start working with the same company because I thought what she learned was so impactful. And to be honest, and this might be TMI, but I'm supposed to start my period soon. And we played today and I was a little bit worried about having that fatigue going into the match because of my time in my cycle. Um, and so I tried to offset that however I could. Um, but I've learned a lot through her and, and thankfully today went our way, but, um, I think there's a lot for everyone to pay attention to in that regard. Not getting too much in the weeds, but is it, how do you do that? How do you offset and sort of try to help yourself in that situation? I just really focused on my recovery. Like I made sure I was recovering harder than maybe I would have. And even if I felt okay, like staying off my feet, I wanted to make sure I was hydrating a ton. Um, I, I was trying to eat a lot. It was actually hard to eat as much as I was trying to eat like a bunch of carbs and drinking my Gatorade and just kind of fueling myself extra and resting harder than maybe I would have normally. This is the first time I've heard athletes openly discuss their periods on camera. And to discuss this topic further, we are joined now by Dr. Natalie Brown, who studies the impact of periods on sport participation and performance. So Natalie, I have to discuss this with you because I've been to three Olympic Games. I've competed for over 15 years and I have no clue the effect of my period on my practice or performance. Does that surprise you? It's not surprising because actually it's information that as females, as athletes, that actually we've not received and we don't know and also hasn't previously been talked about. So it's been really common for athletes not to talk about their periods, for them to not consider that and also almost just dealing with it as something completely separate to their athletic performance. So that's not surprising at all. I know it's crazy because I know things like sleep performance. I know how to hydrate myself. There's certain things that I can eat to perform better, but I have no tips on anything with dealing with uh, periods. Well, and when we we just heard Alex Kleinman and April Ross talking about it, and I'm sure that you were able to hear that as well. And and hearing April say that she was going to take up some of the practices that Alex was doing because she sees the impact, that made me wonder— Okay, so what's the impact? What do they see? Are you privy to what athletes take away from following that? 
Yeah, there's definitely different aspects of how it impacts female athletes and actually what can help them. So we know, you know, throughout um, the menstrual cycle, there's fluctuations in hormones. And it's actually those hormones that give athletes different symptoms that might impact their performance differently. So as you just said, we just heard, you know, more around fatigue and really needing to focus on recovery. And it's different aspects like that, that sometimes there might be a change in nutrition. Um, other times there might be changes in feeling low on motivation and really tired. So actually you might need more sleep during that time. But also there's other times in the menstrual cycle where female athletes have loads of energy, feel really motivated. Um, and actually that's a time where they can push way harder with their training. Um, so it's kind of a, that awareness and knowing what symptoms um, the individual experiences can then look at what different strategies they might be able to do to maximize all aspects of training and then link that into their performance. I was listening to a, a podcast that Alex uh, was on and she was talking about even eating certain foods before her period would start would help her adjust her training. Like she was saying like fish, I think a week before. So I found that quite interesting to tie in both elements of your period mm -hmm. and the food. Do you find that in your research as well? Yeah, it's definitely one aspect that actually I've been looking into more and more is actually how nutrition can interact with symptoms that are experienced. So there's the um, kind of more awareness now that actually symptoms are caused by inflammation. And then it's looking at what foods can really help reduce that inflammation. So we've got like anti-inflammatory foods, which are typically kind of fruit, veg, things like that, that might actually be able to help reduce some of those symptoms experienced, especially in that premenstrual. So when I say premenstrual, just before you're due on your period, that sort of time where actually symptoms can be way worse mm -hmm. um, and way more as well. Um, so actually how it can try and reduce and help that. Can you explain a little bit about the types of things you're doing in your research and also anything outside of what you've already told us that you've gleaned? Yeah, definitely. So actually my research started talking to female athletes. So I wanted to understand what their experiences were, what their perceptions were of their menstrual cycle in sport. Um, and that was so insightful to actually hear and really kind of echoed what was said by the two athletes we just spoke to that actually their periods affected them in training um, it affected them in performance. There was different times um, where they just felt really um, flat and low. They didn't have any motivation um, experienced symptoms like abdominal cramps. So all of those things, but also alongside that was actually how, or they didn't communicate with their coaches. Mm. They didn't speak to them about that. So at no point did they say, actually, I've got really bad stomach cramps, so I feel really tired and fatigued. And they didn't share that with their coaches, which obviously could have a massive impact on their training and their performance. I mean, I, I can see that. Yeah, I, I absolutely relate to that, being yeah. nervous to talk to, because most coaches, like we talked about in past episodes, are males. So, Natalie, uh, with the research that's being done currently, what do you guys need to learn more about? I, obviously, it's a new topic, but where do you see this, uh, you know, going moving in the future? Like, how much more research needs to be done? Yeah, there's so much research still to be done. The, I suppose the negative way of looking at it is so much research has been done previously in males and we apply that research from males to females with the association that women are just smaller versions. Um, whereas obviously we've already mentioned that the hormonal system is completely different in females and we have completely different responses that can impact training. 
But the positive is, is actually way more research is starting to be done. So, for example, around injury um, and how the menstrual mm. cycle interacts with that, that's an area that's being explored more. Um, and it is really exciting to see more and more of that being done. But I think we've still got a long way to go to understand how female athletes respond to different types of training, um, whether that's endurance or strength or power. You know, we don't know all of the ins and outs along with um, changes in metabolism, maybe. We just don't know the differences um, like we do maybe in, in male athletes. Gosh. Dr. Natalie Brown, thank you so much for joining us and, and having us, you know, being part of a conversation with us about something that we don't often get to talk about, but that I know I can't wait to share. It's groundbreaking. Yes. All right, more from On Her Turf at the Olympics when we come back. Welcome back at the Tokyo Paralympics. Later this month, Aliyah Issa will become the first woman to compete as the member of the Paralympic refugee team. In fact, at least 40% of this year's Paralympians will be women, so not quite so balanced mm -hmm. as the Olympics, but still an increase from the previous Paralympic Games. Yes, that's true. And to discuss this topic further, we're joined now by swimmer Mallory Wegman, a two-time Paralympic medalist who will be making her third Paralympic appearance later this month. Also, Carrie Miller-Ortiz, a three-time Paralympian in sitting volleyball turned NBC analyst. It's so great to have both of you with us. And I want to start by asking if you have a sense of why the Paralympics are not as close to being gender balanced as the Olympics. Carrie, we'll start with you. You know, I think that it has a lot to do with um, the fact of, you know, women getting injured at, um, well, recovering from the injuries at a different rate, I would feel. Um, so, you know, you get out and you think that, um, you, you know, that they're not really ready to get out in the world and, you know, and, and to do sports and to do that sort of thing. So I think that it's kind of got to be a mind frame change within the, um, you know, the, the, the Paralympic community or people with injuries as, as a total in order to make that kind of swing. Mallory, how about you? You know, I think, I think you're spot on, but I also think there's the element of just in sport in general, we see a drop off rate in young girls at that age of, you know, 12, 13, 14 years old, and it's much higher than that of boys. And I think in the disability community at large, whether you're born with your impairment or you incur it later in life, that is a real thing. There's such a barrier of entry to sport for young girls in general. And in the disability community, there's a barrier of entry to sport. And then you pair those two together. And I think that's why we're seeing less female Paralympic athletes, but the number is increasing as you've stated, and I think will continue to increase as we see the growth of the Paralympic movement in years to come. You talked about the barriers to entry, the, the barriers of drop-off rates. What are the other barriers that would remain with women with disabilities involved in parasport? You know, I think just access in general is a big barrier. I mean, really, at the end of the day, and then you add the other the other elements that female athletes face at puberty and different age groups. And then, as Carrie pointed out, just that for people who incur their injuries later in life, the rehab rate and just the perception of disability and and kind of bringing forward that self-confidence and feeling like you know I can go out and continue to live a life post-injury and and maybe there's something to be said that that men 
rehab faster than women do? I would say maybe not. I was in the pool two and a half months after my injury. So maybe I'm the anomaly in that one. But um, I think it's very multifactorial. Carrie, what has your training been like? Um, you know, for me, I, I my training and in, in to actually kind of piggyback on Mallory's assessment is that during my training, it took a lot. You know, you're, you're sitting there, you're tra- you're up at five o'clock in the morning, right? You are, you know, having a special diet. You are um, training again in the afternoons. You are, I mean, it, your whole it's almost all encompassing for those four years or through that quad that you're moving forward into the games, right? And so when you look at the female, you know, lifestyle as a whole, we tend to be the nurturers, the the people who hold on to the families, right? And so even within the um, Paralympic, at the highest levels, when people get married, right? When you have children, a lot of that onus tends tends to fall on the, the, you know, the female side of, you know, the the athletes, right? Um, Because as you look, a lot of the male athletes can have longer careers, especially in sitting volleyball, because a lot of the nurturing, the home, you know, taking care of type of stuff occurs on that, on their, um, on their, for their spouses rather than on them as well. So that's kind of another, you know, barrier or um, shift. Mallory, what do you want people to know about the Paralympics? What is it that you think that can help, you know, bring this to light for a lot of people that, that simply don't pay attention? I think the biggest thing at this stage in the Paralympic movement is understanding that we are one Team USA. The Paralympics and the Olympics, we as athletes are peers and and we're equals. And that is a huge thing that we're starting to see come to light with the renaming of the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee and bringing Paralympic into the name with the equality that comes in Operation Gold payouts and our medal incentives. And I think honestly, at the end of the day, while we all live with disabilities, we are, we are not only surviving, we are living and we are thriving. And our, our disabilities are just a part of who we are, but they're not our defining factor. And the Paralympic movement is elite level athletics, just like its Olympic counterpart. Carrie, I know you're going to be working as a broadcaster for these Paralympics. And I'm curious how that experience has been for you so far prepping, but also what you're most looking forward to seeing. This experience has been terrifying and exciting all at the same time. Really? You know, I'm a veteran, you know, I'm an athlete. I've never been like the in front of the camera type of person. In fact, whenever they take pictures, I always say, well, put the Vaseline on there so I can look like Lolo, right? That's what I always say whenever, literally, it's what I, so, so, and it's so funny for you to be here. Well, Carrie, I got to say, I'm, I'm sitting in this chair and you're going to be sitting in this chair pretty soon. It's terrifying. I'd much rather compete. <laughs> no, you wouldn't. You're so good. You're a natural. Carrie, you're going to be natural. Go ahead, but if you can finish what you're saying. Yeah, but I mean, I think the preparation part of it has been exciting to learn. I'm actually able to study a little bit more about the different sports that I love so much because I came from basketball. I'm doing volleyball. I've done archery. So I get to kind of study these. I have the time to do that now. Right. And then I'm really looking forward to seeing um, the teams compete and being able to see the new people as they've come through training that, that whole quad and seeing how they actually compete and how it it turns out for them. I love looking at their eyes and like the terror and excitement in it, you know? Speaking of competing, Mallory, I have to know, how did the postponement of the games affect your training? It completely derailed mine. So what was it like for you? 
You know, Lolo, it was definitely a different experience. I think all athletes can relate to that sentiment. And I think, honestly, in a lot of ways from a training aspect, I'm stronger now because of it. I was able to lean into sports psych. I was able to lean into my nutrition. I was able to lean into different aspects of my training in a different way because I was forced to get creative on it. But it also affected the personal aspect. You know, I was I was hoping at this point in 2021, I would be on the way to hopefully becoming a mom and starting a family with my husband. And with the postponement of the games meant the postponement of family, what felt like yet again. But at the same time, I'm really glad that these games are happening and they were postponed rather than canceled. And we're going to have that chance to come together as a world and unite after these past 18 months. Mallory, to follow up on that, what are those conversations like when you have to come to the table and actually make a decision about something that's such a big life step? It's, it's difficult. I think so many of us can understand that, especially, especially for women, but also for men. I mean, this is a decision that my husband and I made together. It's not just me saying I'm going for my career. I have his support in every aspect of that. And I remember a very, uh, very intimate moment of me just breaking in my closet when I saw the the news come through that the games were postponed. And honestly, it had nothing to do with my athletics. It had everything to do with the fact that that point in March, I was like, we're six months out from finally being able to like really talk about let's have a family. And then it felt like it just got extended again. And so there are those emotions and it's challenging, but that's part of what we sign up for as Olympic and Paralympic athletes. Mm -hmm. There are life goals that we put on hold for this life goal. And, and that's part of the deal. And, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that I regret it at any turn. It's challenging at times for certain, but I also feel very fortunate to be a member of Team USA and to be competing at my third Paralympic Games. Speaking of life goals, uh, Carrie, this is the pinnacles of all sporting events for most athletes. Um, How do you think that they will process the no fans, no friends, family um, at the games? Is that going to be a tough transition or will it be smoother than uh, they expected? Well, I know that for, um, like, say, sitting volleyball, they kind of factor in all kinds of things like that. So they'll train they will train without, you know, with noise machines, without noise machines in order to get you kind of ready for that. But it's still, no matter what, that energy that the crowd gives, you know, being able to look up into the crowd and going, hey, you know, there's my mom, there's my dad. You know, I couldn't imagine that. So the, these particular athletes are going to have to have an exceptional amount of mental toughness that we wouldn't have had to have um, during our games. You know, we wouldn't have had to prepare in that manner. I absolutely agree. I think that the athletes that win medals, I think it's, I, at least 40% harder without friends, family, the, the support system in place. Mm-hmm. It Absolutely. is wild. Well, as, you, as both of you prepare, what is next on tap for you as you get ready to leave and to head over and to get set for what you're about to, to cover? For me personally, I, I'm getting ready to leave in here just under a week. And so we are just honing in. I'm taking in all the time with my husband to what Carrie was talking about, about families. Mm-hmm. I'm enjoying every last minute I can so I can bottle it up, if you will, knowing I'm not going to have my parents or my husband or my coach with me. And so just taking that in and preparing myself for the time over in Tokyo and to enjoy it. Because while it's different, 
It's the Paralympic Games, and we've been waiting a long time for these games. And so I am I am so excited for that. And I think I'm just kind of forcing myself to slow down before I leave and take these final moments with family and support in before I head out. And Carrie, I know you're calling it from here, but so what is that going to look like for you? So we are, I'm getting ready. I've been talking to all of my, um, you know, volleyball teammates, my coaches, um, getting all the information I can before uh, they head out. Um, And then we're going to kind of reconvene while they're out there to ask some questions, just a little research and being a little sneaky, you know. Um, But, you know, as far as with my family and all that, it's the same thing, hanging out, because I don't think that, you know, this is going to be the time that I'm going to have to spend with them during that week, right? But we're just all preparing, watching, uh, watching games. You know, they've been helping me out just kind of how they did when I was actually preparing for the games. Like, this is a new transition for me in a different manner. So it's, it's kind of like you got to get mentally prepared for it as well, you know. I just don't have to lift weights, which is awesome. Yes. <laughs> Valerie and Gary, thank you both so much. And best of luck both at the games and also calling the games. We wish you guys both the best. Thank you. And of course, there's also the Winter Olympics that is right around the corner, six months from now in Beijing. And we're so lucky to have a Winter Olympian, of course, a Summer Olympian also in you, Lolo. But what's that like? How's your preparation? Uh, I mean, it's intense. People don't know this, but right now, Winter Olympians are actually in the process of qualifying. The games are about six months away. And so we've already started our Olympic qualifiers, trying to make Team USA. And from there, we'll be cut down to the Olympic team. So it's intense. It's still a time of stress, right? So what does this look like? I mean, for you, but for anybody who is getting ready to ramp up. So it's the same thing that I was uh, talking about with having the focus of the fans shift now to our competitive tours. So we have a whole bobsled season that we compete in before the Olympics, and that determines our rankings. And then that's how they'll place the bobsleds when we go into the Olympic Games. And so like, if you're just a fan of a sport, track and field, bobsled, Volleyball, you have to just, if you watch their tours, you get so much more knowledge and you actually learn more of our our backstories. And it's incredible to follow the journey. Do you guys feel that? Absolutely. And especially a year where there's COVID protocols and we don't have fans per se at our venues, having fans cheer us on via social media is everything to me. I can't tell you when I won Worlds in 2021 during the pandemic year and I had fans retweeting my messages, giving me messages of support that made up for not having fans cheer for me on the sidelines. Okay, so you hear that. That's actually really valuable information. So even seeing those things is something that can help propel and motivate you. That's awesome. All right. Well, we're cheering for you, girl. Thank you. Download the On Her Turf podcast on Apple Podcasts. And of course, make sure that you follow us just like this is like what you were saying right? at On Her Turf on Instagram and Twitter until tomorrow. This podcast is presented by NordaTrack from iFit.